Should you involve family members in your business? That's a question you may have to face one day, and depending on how well you get along with your family, how much you trust them, and what your business is, there are some key decision factors you need to make before involving family members in your business. And the two key decisions are, first is to know what they have the skill set to do, and the second is to clearly define that role and make it legal. To protect your interest and to protect your business, let's look at what you need to know before you get family members involved in your business. Welcome to the Goals, Profit, and Soul Business Show Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hoffman, founder of the GPS Business Academy, the premier business training and coaching company. Our focus is on the synergy of process and profits, strategy and soul. And we provide expert business advice, resources, and training for startups, restarts, and expanding empires. And we've been doing it since 2012. We specialize in teaching entrepreneurs how to create high-value, high-volume, high-growth businesses. I'm an eight-time best-selling author, radio host, globally recognized business and energy congruence expert. Thank you for joining me on this week's Goals, Profit, and Soul Business Podcast, and I hope you'll learn something that motivates, energizes, and supports your entrepreneurial ambitions. Let's get started. Now, I have a very hard and fast rule in my business. I do not work with family members. I've had a few over the years contact me to work in my business. And I say no, because first of all, I, I rule of not working with family. Secondly, because they don't have the skill set that I need to work in my business. Now, you may have this come up in your family and depending on what kind of relationship you have with your family and uh, what kind of boundaries you have, you may say yes and just hope that everything goes well or say no and then nobody likes you and that may bother you but I want to talk to you about the key decisions you need to make the key criteria you need to look at and how to protect your business if you bring family members into your business and this is particularly difficult with family because we have all kinds of exceptions we make for them we have double standards with family we aren't always as honest and forthright with family members as we would be with other people and then there are other layers of relationship that we have with family and then extended family that we may not want to disrupt. So we tend to give family members a little more leeway than we would with other people, which could be an enormous mistake in your business. So let's talk about, first of all, the key factors you must consider before bringing people into your business. The first thing, and you hear me say this all the time, and I can't stress how important it is, always have a contract and make sure you keep control of your business. It doesn't matter who you bring into your business. There are some contracts, there are some legal documents they need to sign. One is a non-disclosure, especially if you're dealing with inventions or proprietary information that you develop in your business, especially if you're doing consulting or contract work for other people, you need to have a non-disclosure that protects your business interests, that protects your proprietary and confidential information. And what a non-disclosure says is the person who works for you, who gets access to this proprietary information through the course of working in your business, has to keep it secret. And there are strict penalties for disclosing it. 
you must make everyone sign this. Your business secrets, your trade secrets are protected that way. So everyone has to sign a non-disclosure. And the second is there has to be some kind of contract in place, some kind of employment contract that clearly states their start and end date, how the contract is terminated, what they are going to be doing in your business and how you're going to pay them and how much. At the very minimum, that's what needs to be covered. This protects you. Now, I'm going to give you some case studies as part of this because I think this is such an important topic that a lot of people overlook to their detriment. So let me talk to you about implied contracts using a case study of someone that I worked with that I had to help uh, restructure their business after they allowed a family member in their business and they didn't pay that person. Oh, I'll just come in and work in the office a few hours or I'll just come in and do a few things here and there. Well, this person worked in their business off and on kind of as as a casual part-time basis for about five years. And then my client decided to sell their business. Well, because their family member had worked in their business, had done certain things, had worked in the business, had time involved in the business, they demanded a part of the actual profit from the sale of the business. And it ended up being quite a nasty legal process that ended up in court. And my client ended up having to pay that person almost 10% of their proceeds, which ended up being close to $200,000 because the person had worked in the business. There was no contract, but they had kept track of their time and they had kept track of, you know, had kept track of the amount of effort and the work that they did. So when it came time to sell her business, instead of coming home with the $2 million profit that she thought she was going to have, she ended up having to pay this person $200,000. Now she still had a significant amount of money, but it was sneaky and it was underhanded and she had not protected herself and certainly did not expect that kind of behavior from a family member. So in addition to there being hard feelings about the the entire process, it actually ruined that family relationship. So always make sure you have contracts. An implied contract is just that. It's the implication of a contract if the person acts as though a contract exists. So if you have a family member who comes into your office, say Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and works for three hours at a time and puts in nine hours a week, and you're not paying them, oh, they're just helping out. There is a contract that is implied in the fact that they show up and they work and they can at some point come back to you and demand back wages, especially if they work at your establishment, because now you're going into the IRS definition of the difference between a contractor and an employee. And the IRS can come back to you then and force you to pay all those back taxes plus penalties and interest. It can get pretty messy. So always have a contract. Number two, and this is actually just a basic question that you would ask of anyone. Does this person have the skill set that complements your business or adds value to your business or adds value to your customers? Now, this is really important because if you're going to bring someone in your business, no matter who it is, family member or not, they need to have the skill set to add value to your business. So they need to have social media skills, or maybe they can answer emails, or maybe they're really technical, or maybe they can update your website or edit your podcast or something. They need to have some kind of skill set. They can't just come in, sit down and look nice or come in and, and just pretend to be logged into your systems and you pay them or you have them on board and they don't really do anything. If you are going to bring in a family member, they need to go through some kind of hiring process just like anybody else would. They need a resume. They need to highlight the skill sets. And you need a job description. 
if you have ever worked in a corporate environment, you know that when you go for a job interview, you're given a copy of a job description that outlines the roles and the duties and the responsibilities of the position and the skill set that's required to do the roles and responsibilities of that position. You, as the potential employer, whether you are hiring someone as an employee or you are hiring someone as a contractor or a consultant, there has to be some kind of document that outlines what you want to have done and the kinds of skills that somebody needs to be able to do that. You have that document and then you decide whether or not this family member has the skills that allow them to complete that role. Number three, what do you want them to do in your business? Again, this is where your job description comes in very handy. You need to have a very well-defined role for them to fulfill that includes the kind of work you want them to do. You are the business owner. You have to be very clear about what they do and then set up those boundaries and make them very firm. You don't want someone from your family to come in and after a week start making executive decisions and taking over your business. Now, I had a problem with an admin quite a few years ago. I had hired her as a contractor to help me carry out an event. And then what I found out is after the event was over, I had talked to the hotel about maybe doing an event next year because we had a great time. The, great, the hotel was great. The venue was fabulous. The staff was wonderful. So I thought, you know, maybe we'll have an, an event here again next year. And I had briefly mentioned it to this person who was acting as my event planner. The next thing I know, I get a pile of contracts from the hotel for the event next year. And she has already like chosen the menus and chosen the food. Of course, not considering that there's not been any marketing done. There's no budget established. And I called the hotel quickly and I said, look, I need to put a hold on this. This is not okay. I don't even have a budget for this event yet. I haven't planned it. Of course, she had picked all the food and it was thousands of dollars worth of food. And I said, no. I had a talk with the event planner and let her know that she did not have the authority to contract with the hotel and commit my business to thousands of dollars in event preparations, an event that I hadn't even decided I was going to have yet. She got a little irate and she quit, which was fine because I was going to fire her anyway. I didn't need someone to take over my business like that and committing me to thousands of dollars worth of food and in, in, in a contract that for an event that I hadn't even decided I was going to hold. You need to be very clear and you need to keep an eye on people. Whether it's a family member or it's a consultant or it's a contractor, or it's an employee, you have to keep an eye on them and supervise them and make sure that they are doing what you want them to do and they aren't doing other things. Number four, are they an employee, a consultant, or a contractor? Now, this is important. There are some very strict IRS rules. The IRS is a 20-point test to determine whether somebody is a contractor or an employee. So whether they're a W-2, an employee, or a W-9, the difference is huge. If they're a contractor, say you're paying them $40 an hour. You pay them $40 an hour. They have to pay their own taxes. You don't have anything to do with that. At the end of the year, you have to send them a 1099 showing how much you paid them that is reported to the IRS that they have to file their own taxes, and you're done. If they're an employee, now you're responsible for employee withholding and making sure that money gets to the IRS and make, you know, paying the taxes you're supposed to and filing the quarterly reports and things like that. 
there's a lot more responsibility and a lot more bookkeeping and a lot more money involved in having a person as an employee. Plus, there's a whole different set of contractual relationships with an employee than there is with someone who's just a contractor or a consultant. Be very clear, and I would suggest until such time as you have a very financially viable business that you hire everyone on as a consultant or as a contractor. So you get a service level agreement, you make sure that you define their services, what their start date is, how much you're paying them by the hour or by the month or however you're paying them, and then how that contract terminates. So make that distinction very clear because if not, you could end up getting yourself again in a lot of trouble with the IRS. And I've seen this happen to people and it's very expensive. One of the qualifications of the IRS, and while this doesn't apply as much now because so many more people are online and so many more people work from home, but one of the tests was if the person has to show up at your place of work, and they do so on a consistent basis, and they can only work, do their work at your place of business, then you must classify them as an employee and you cannot classify them as a contractor. Now, I remember quite a few years ago, I worked as a consultant in a place of business and I was doing uh, coaching and, and intuitive sessions but we had to be there. We had to be at the physical location in order to work. The store owner had us all classified as W-9 employees, as contra independent contractors, except we had to be at her place of work. So technically we were actually employees. And she ended up getting sued by the IRS and it cost her millions of dollars. It wasn't good on her part. She was actually kind of greedy and it, it, she, the way she set it up was wrong. If she had set it up differently, she could have gotten away with it. But instead of, for example, treating us as individual businesses, renting tables, renting the location to us, making us pay rent on the tables, like a hair salon does, where they have like a big salon and then they rent chairs to the different, uh, the different hairstylists, she should have done it that way, but she didn't. She treated us as employees, paid us as contractors, and then ended up audited by the IRS and having to pay millions of dollars in fines. And they made her pay the equivalent of our earnings and the taxes, the withholding taxes that would have been paid on our earnings to the IRS. And that just about drove her out of business. So this is important, whether they're an employee, a consultant, or a contractor, and a lot of it depends on where they work and what their working conditions are. You probably don't have to worry about that because most of your people will be online or they'll be working virtually at some point, but it's definitely something to consider. And number five, and this is an important one, do you get along with them enough to have them in your business? One of the reasons I don't have family members in my business, as I said earlier, is because they don't have the skill set that I need to be part of my business. That's neither here nor there with them, but they, they just don't have the skill set. So I don't want them in my business. I don't need them in my business. Another key question is, do you trust them? So do you trust them around your customers? Do you trust them around your finances? Do you trust them around your business secrets or your business in general? And if the answer is no, then you're going to have to get a little thick skinned. And when they ask you, if, if they ask you, then you'll just have to say no. And I think what you'll find is the more successful your business becomes, the more likely family members are 
going to be to come to you and ask you for help. I have the experience of working with a lot of business owners. So I've seen a lot of different things. And I can tell you that some of my clients, some of my business owner clients were surprised at how manipulative family members could be. The fact that they thought, oh, you've got a successful business. Yeah, you can just, you know, you could pay me $1,000 a week, no big deal. And, and I'll just you know, do some little stuff here and there for you. Family businesses have a high rate of failure, especially when you bring family members into your business and when the family relationship is not that good. So if you don't get along with them and you don't trust them, why would you have them in your business? Let's switch gears a little bit here. These are some things now that I want you to make sure you avoid. Whether you bring family members or in or not, and if you do have family as part of your business, here are some of the things you need to avoid. And the first one is let family members practice on customers. So about 10 years ago, someone suggested a virtual admin to me and I needed a website done. I needed my newsletters formatted, my automation set up, et cetera. So I contracted with her to do this and I needed the website done. Now this is long before the days of Wix and uh, WordPress plug and play and you know like elegant themes and you know, Divi where you just can put little blocks of text in. Everything had to be coded through HTML. It was hard. Websites were expensive. They were hard to do you and they required a special skill set to code websites. So when I talked to her about a website, I got an estimate on the amount of time that it was going to take. I gave her you know, kind of an outline of what I wanted and what it was going to cost. And she gave the job to her son. Now, her son was like, I don't know, 16 years old. And she didn't tell me that she was going to give it to her son to do. I waited a week or two. I mean, it was about two weeks. I called her up and I said, look, I don't know where this website is, what the status is, but I need my website. Is it done yet? And it wasn't a complicated website. It didn't have complicated elements to it. I just needed a basic website. So she says, well, I've had my son working on it. Let me show you what he's had. And I looked at it and it was horrible. It was definitely the work of an amateur. It looked like he was practicing and this was his first practice. I was furious. To be honest, I fired her on the spot. I refused to pay the invoice, which fortunately I hadn't paid yet. And I let her know exactly what I thought of allowing her son to practice on customers because she had already cost me two weeks. So don't let your children or family members practice on your customers. Generally, especially if your children are young, you know, a 16 year old, unless there's some kind of whiz kid does not have the skill set to build a website or to, or to build a business based website. Often I'll see people, women especially, they'll bring their husbands in the business or they'll bring their children in the business. And I don't want to deal with your husband and I don't want to deal with your children, especially if they're young. Being older and having grandchildren who are old enough to have children of their own, I don't deal well with teenagers. A teenager has nothing to say to me that I want to hear. A good advice is don't let your children practice on your customers and don't bring your children in your business in the customer facing side of your business unless it makes a lot of business sense and even then pay attention to your market if it's simply not appropriate then don't let your children you know, deal with your customers number two avoid involving young children in your business now unless you're 
selling baby clothes or baby toys or you have a family with young children based business and that's your customer base your children do not belong in your business and of course I have case study so there is a business coach called Kelly Roach and she has a daughter who is probably eight years old I think at the time she was like five or six years old and Kelly would have these Facebook lives and get maybe 60 70 people on a Facebook live and her daughter was in the room a couple times in particular her daughter was in the room and you could tell she was bored she didn't need to be there she was bored she was acting up and at one point she was climbing all over Kelly playing with her hair putting stuff on her hair putting a tiara on her head while Kelly is trying to deliver this information to these people that by the way she wants to sell a ten thousand dollar program to while she was going through this having her daughter all over her as she's trying to talk it became obvious to her as the comments were coming through the chat that her daughter needed to leave it was just so distracting to watch this child who I thought was behaving very badly crawling all over her mother while her mother is trying to give a professional presentation and I also thought it was an example of very bad parenting eventually Kelly gets the message and tells her daughter to leave and then we hear 20 minutes of her arguing with her daughter because the daughter didn't want to leave well you can guess those of us who have older children or who've already raised our children we would have just taken Kelly put her outside the door told the other parent at home the father or something to watch her and that would have been the end of that that's not what happened so a number of people and me included you know we were communicating with each other in the chat and we were just flabbergasted And I made the comment, is this what happens during coaching sessions? Because remember, she's trying to sell a $10,000 program. And my question to her was, well, is this what happens during your coaching programs? Is she in there listening and be misbehaving? And this is, does this program get interrupted? Which would have been a valid question. Quite a few people complained about the fact that we were spending an hour of our time on this call. We did not want to see her daughter climbing all over her and just being a general nuisance this could have been avoided entirely by of course not having her in the room at all and you're you know she has often introduced her daughter as her co-ceo which is absurd she's five now she's maybe i don't know six or seven please pay attention to your audience if you have an older mature audience or if you have a very business focused audience your children are not your co-ceo and if they are then you've got a problem and your children don't belong in your business make sure you keep your business and personal life separate unless your business actually involves children or something to do with children and even so there's a time to deal with the children and have children on and there's a time to not do so number three another thing to avoid in your business is to allow family members to join your business and become substitutes for you just because they are family I've seen this happen where family members come into the business and they kind of take over. They start connecting with the clients. They start giving advice. They start making key decisions and things like that. This comes back to the first point I made of having a contract and also having that very clear discussion about what that person's roles are and the fact that it's still your company and you're still the CEO and they work with you and those boundaries need to be in place in order to avoid that kind of problem. 
again, one of the problems with having family members is that we have a double standard when it comes to family. We often allow family to do things we would never allow somebody else to do. And that hurts your business, but it also makes it really difficult for you to have those boundaries in place when it's your family because you end up being the person who has to say, nope, we're not doing this. Nope, this isn't going to fly. Nope, this isn't, we're not going to have this happen. So you have to be the person who says those things and you need to make it very clear to family members that the family connection doesn't count in your business. This happened to me 11 or 12 years ago. I was working with someone who had developed this course platform. And the course platform was fairly good. It was an early one, so it wasn't certainly as good as the ones we have today. But it worked well. And I had always worked with her. In fact, I knew she was married, but her husband did something else. He wasn't part of the business. Well, I guess he decided to get involved in the business. And I started getting phone calls from her husband. Now, he was from Brazil. He didn't speak English that well. He was also quite rude. And I couldn't understand, first of all, why he was calling me. He was asking me questions about my business that were none of his business. And we had several rather tense conversations. And finally, I called her and I said, who is this man? And why is he calling me? And I'm getting tired. I said, make him stop calling me. And she really had no idea that he was calling her customers and changing policies and asking them for additional funds and making their lives kind of miserable, talking to them about their businesses and doing things in a way that was not her style. I told her, look, he's your husband. This is our arrangement. This is the arrangement I'm sticking to. I don't want him calling me anymore. Please deal with it. But do not let him call me again. I do not want to talk to him anymore. So she had to have that conversation with him. And it was quite a tense conversation because he had not destroyed, but he had certainly upset a number of her customer relationships because he was doing things outside of the sphere of her knowledge, but also conducting business in a way that was really contrary to how she conducted business and what her customers were used to. Number four, allow them to give advice that dictates your message, shifts your business, and alters your business strategy. This kind of follows into the previous one, and that is they are not your spokesperson. They are not partners. They are not associated with your business in terms of operational strategy or operational processes or procedure. So again, this goes to you. This is about you setting boundaries, you making sure that they know their place in the business. And one of the reasons this is very important is because if you have a brand-based business, like most of you have, where the, you are the face of your business, it's your philosophy, it's your message, it's your face, it's your books, it's your presence that make the business, then having someone else come in and start dictating to your customers or calling them behind your back or setting policy or doing things that alter the course of your business without your knowledge is not going to go over well with your customers. You know, just as I had to call this woman and say, "Have I do not want this man calling me anymore. I don't know what he wants. I don't know who he is, but I'm not dealing with him. So have him stop calling me. And she had to go back and do a great deal of, of triage work with customers who were getting ready to leave because they were so annoyed with this man who, rude man who kept on calling them. Make sure that, again, the boundaries are there. They know it's your business. You don't relinquish part of your business because it's family and that they're not going behind your back and you know, talking to customers and altering processes and things like that. 
And then number five, do not give them access to your financial documents, your checking account, your payment accounts, and never give them check signing or withdrawal permissions unless it's part of their job description and you absolutely trust them. One of the things that you can do if they have withdrawal permissions is force them to buy a bond. Like notaries have, if you're a notary, you have to buy a bond. Make them buy the bond. They have to pay for the bond. And that way, if they steal money from you, then the bond will actually pay for the money and then the bond owner comes after them. I have seen too many problems with family members taking money, making withdrawals, paying themselves because it's family. And I have one particular, actually a quite a good example of this, is a large family business whose CEO was my client. So I was consulting with the CEO of this company. And it was a family business, had been a family business for decades. And there was quite a large family involved. It was a large company, and I'm talking revenues in the tune of 60 or $70 million a year. By some agreement between the, the owners and the families, the business paid Annu- monthly annuities to family members so they, every month they would get money from the business like a, a salary but they didn't do anything they didn't have to go to work they didn't have to do anything they just got this money my client the CEO was the one who was you know managing the business running the business dealing with all the employees dealing with you know supply distribution etc sometimes who wasn't herself taking a salary because when she came on board the business was having trouble but it was always paying these annuities. At some point, she decided to sell the company, which would have ended the annuities to the family members. And that was one of the, the terms of the annuities. As long as the company was still owned in the family, they would get their annuities. If the company got sold, the annuities would go away. The family members tried to sue her to prevent the sale of the company because they wanted their annuities. And it ended up being a a mess. She ended up selling the company. I counseled her to do this and she did. As part of the debts to be paid off, she paid herself her back wages for all the time that she had put in the job and she deserved it. And it ended up being several million dollars. But it was really difficult on the family that had been, of course, counting on getting all this money. And then, of course, they don't get the money anymore. But it shows you how the financial entanglements when it comes to family can get really complicated. And especially if you don't trust someone or you're not quite sure of their trust or you are running a business and, you know, and you're giving someone in your family a job just because they're your family and they asked you and for some reason you can't make yourself say no, then you're really setting yourself up for a big problem. So if you're going to hire family, make sure that you get a contract. They sign a contract just like anybody else would do, that they are a contractor or a consultant and not an employee. And you know how much you're paying them. You have that all set out. You pay them by check or direct deposit. Do not pay them with cash. That way you have a record of what you paid them. But also make sure that it makes sense to have them in the business. Do they have the right skill set? Do they have the knowledge that benefits your business? Because if not, they're going to end up being a bigger hassle to you than a help. And you're going to end up resenting them because you felt pressured or guilted or shamed or manipulated into giving them a job. If you're going to hire family, do so very carefully. Do family and business mix. I have seen more horror stories and more failures than I have successes. Personally, I would never get involved with family members. I would never bring family members in my business. 
you do what's right for you. But I would be very careful to involve people in your family and your business. And if you do, make sure you have it well defined and you supervise them. You keep an eye on them. You make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing so that you protect your business and your business interests. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Goals, Profit, and Soul Business Show podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and that it has inspired, motivated, and energized you. Please subscribe, give it a like, and a review. Your acknowledgement helps others find us and get the information they need to turn those business dreams into an entrepreneurial reality. Join us each week for a new episode, and I look forward to our next time together.